Welcome back, ghosts, ghouls, and things that go bump in the night. I hope those of you who celebrate had a nice Thanksgiving. As you all know, Thanksgiving is known, well, mostly for food anymore, but it's supposed to be a time of family and friendship. And of course, that makes me think about those who are no longer here to celebrate with us. Of course, it's said that no one's ever really gone. That they're always with you. But what if that is happening literally? What if that shape you sometimes see out of the corner of your eye or that shadow you swore you saw move in the darkest corner of your room is somebody coming back. If you've ever thought like this, I have just the story for you. So, why don't you sit back, relax, and tune in for seams. For a long time, I only saw him out of the corner of my eyes. I tried not to focus on him. Even back then, I knew that if I did, I'd be seeing a lot more of him than a fleeting glimpse in my peripheral vision. I was right. I messed up. And he's always here now. My grandma used to tell me about the seams, the places where the fabric of everything that we know and recognize is sewn together. Sometimes glimpses of neither here nor there, slivers of madness, shine through the gaps where the threads are frayed and fragile. To acknowledge these snippets of impossibility is to pull and weaken the threads further. My grandmother was a seamstress, and quite a few of her analogies and stories reflected that, but this one always made sense to me. After all, if time is a fabric, then why not reality too? She used to tell me, that you must always avoid doing anything that would weaken those threads. Because if you do, if you're not careful, the hungry things on the other side will spill out from the seams. Even worse than that, they could pull you in, kicking, screaming, clawing at the ground for purchase you cannot find as nails and fingertips break from our world into theirs. Where do they take you? What happens next? I would ask when I was younger, when these were still just fiction, stories to me. She never enjoyed when I asked those questions. Her answers were just a look of sadness as she stared, 
lost at the peeling wallpaper. Her tell when she was upset was that she'd hold the locket my grandfather had given her between her fingers so tightly that I worried it might break. Moments like this were a rare crack in her usual facade of steely resolve. My mother would roll her eyes and make sounds of disapproval when Grandma told me about the seams. I think it was a mixture of having already heard it a thousand times before and the excuses for my grandfather walking out on the family when she was young. It's not his fault that he left. He was taken into the seams, she would say. There was also probably at least a decent bit of, Poppy is six. Stop telling her stories about being forcefully dragged into a hellscape, mixed in there too. Something I've always found interesting is how many people, when forced with something that clearly should not exist, disregard it dismiss it as a trick of the light or mind. Maybe this is some innate sort of survival instinct. And then there are people like me that lack that instinct. My grandma used to tell me when something doesn't fit neatly into reality or make any sense to ignore it and look away. Scrutinizing too closely may pull the threads, pull at them enough and you're not only opening a door, you're sending out an invitation for something to enter through it. Well, I pulled at the threads. I accidentally invited something in from the seams. The first time I saw him was in our house when I was little. I was leaning in close to the television, as if I'd see my cartoons more clearly if my eyes were only mere inches away from the screen. I remember seeing an odd reflection. It wasn't a part of the show, and it didn't seem to be a reflection of anything in our living room. I leaned in even closer, studying it. I at first thought it looked almost like a white deer. It had four long legs that seemed almost too thin to support its weight, and a long, sloping face. But then I noticed the pair of human-like arms and hands. I focused on it, trying to make out the features as they became clearer and clearer. The fingers were mangled looking, the arms bent too many times, the face as it came into focus. Oh god, that face. Looking back now, knowing what I would have been looking at back then. I'm not surprised I started screaming and crying as the image grew sharper, realer, closer. My mom came running in and calmed me down, distracting me as I babbled on about seams and monsters. She and my grandma had a heated discussion that night after dinner. I remember it well. My grandma quietly saying that they almost took me too, and that's why I needed to know what was out there. My mom telling her she needed to stop filling my head with stories. She needed to accept that my grandfather was gone. Nothing took him someplace else. He left the family of his own volition, for his own very human reasons. It escalated to the point where they switched from English to Arminian, which I knew bits and pieces of, but at the time, 
not the words they used when they were angry. Years went by without me seeing him. I saw him again when I was 19. I'd saved up and bought my first clunker of a used car, which to the surprise of no one, broke down when I needed it most. I sat, late for work but grateful for the faint cell signal at least, while I wondered about the right turn lane to nowhere that I'd pulled over into. If you followed the direction of the turn, it led straight into a tall and ancient tree in the middle of the woods, instead of an actual road. It looked so traveled and well used, though. I saw a brief image of a road that never could have existed, but at the same time, it did. I felt like I was staring at two worlds superimposed into one. It had been so long, I didn't realize I was staring into a seam. I didn't even see him emerge from it that time. I was distracted just in time by the tow truck arriving, but after that, he always lurked just beyond my field of vision. Over the years, I nearly learned to ignore these fleeting glimpses. Not too long ago, my husband and I moved into a new neighborhood. We lived in a packed suburb, so we were surprised to see an empty lot in the oldest, original section. We speculated that perhaps the owner had bulldozed the house itself sometime after the neighborhood was built in the early 1970s, but held on to the land and never sold it. I knew something about that place wasn't right, because when I looked at it for a moment too long, I'd see him more clearly, the long, pale thing from the seams. But unlike when he lurked just outside my field of vision, he seemed more corporeal. Every so often, we'd get someone else's mail, and I tried to be a good neighbor and walk it over to their box. One day, not too long ago, I got a yellowed envelope addressed to a neighbor with a weird-looking stamp. I walked to the address listed on it, only to find it wasn't there. Based on the numbers of the houses around it, it was addressed to the empty lot. I thought that the USPS had a database of valid addresses, but wondered if, since a house did used to be there, if it was considered still valid. I was so lost in my random thoughts that when the flickers of a mailbox and house began to take shape, I just stared, fully ensnared. The house slowly cycled between the image of new ranch-style home, a frame blackened by fire, and then nothing there at all. In the brief moments I stared, captivated, the burned version began to materialize more solidly. The door, already damaged and nearly off its hinges, began to open. Mangled and milk-white fingers gripped the outer door frame as he pulled himself through. For the first time, I stared at him full on. Those impossibly thin legs, the form somehow made more terrifying by arms and hands bent in a way they never should be. That long, distended face that was a mix of something human and something else indescribable. It was like a bloody accident that you never wanted to see, but now that you had, you couldn't look away from it. From that moment onward, 
He's always been solid, and most of the time, he's directly within my line of sight. No one else seems to be able to see him. My husband believes me, says he feels like something is in the room with us when he's there. I hadn't wanted to come home at first since he started following me, but my husband convinced me to. People around me avoid the places he occupies, while simultaneously seeming unaware anything is there at all. I became more withdrawn for the first few weeks, still afraid he'd harm my family and try to drag one of them back to the place he called home. He was my shadow. He hasn't tried to do anything. He simply followed me most places, with the exceptions of a nearly human-like respect for my privacy. It's almost funny how eventually you can become accustomed to almost anything. I still cautiously avoided family and friends, but soon stopped taking notice of him. His presence was just a constant in my life. He was with me, my new companion, as I was walking on a trail one evening by myself. He flitted through the trees ahead of me, looking much like the white deer I thought he was when I first saw him reflected in that grainy screen of the television all those years ago. I was confidently going in what I thought to be the right way, until I ended up totally lost. Thanks to my poor sense of direction, I was out far later than intended. But at least I had finally found the paved trail that wound through the trees, which felt infinitely safer than the dirt paths I had been on before that were now bathed in darkness. I heard rustling in the woods. It sounded small, like maybe a rabbit, but I wasn't chancing it. I wondered if he had been simply waiting for the right time or place to drag me away. I sped up. Up ahead as the path snaked into shadows, something was odd about the trees. It was as if they were bathed in a strange light, but in my singular focus of leaving, I assumed it was the yellow light of the parking lot shining through. I didn't notice at the time the branches there swaying with a wind that came from a different direction than the trees around them. The rustling behind me grew louder and closer, but I was so relieved that I was almost to the safety of the lights in my car that I allowed myself to believe I'd finally lost him. I had temporarily allowed myself to forget that no place was truly safe. By the light of the moon, I saw something strange. Even worse, I looked too closely. Pale and dirty human feet peeked out from the woods ahead, someone standing so that the rest of them was fully concealed by the shadows of the tree line. I had approached it before I knew what I was doing and stared a second too long. That was all it took. It began to emerge from the shadows, walking unevenly on many pairs of its human hands and feet with a long, sharp face angled in my direction. It was nearly halfway out as the skull-like face glinted at me in the moonlight. Despite the lack of eyes, I could feel it could just see me as surely as I could feel the hunger emanating from it. It began to open and close its jaws slowly, ready. 
my shadow reappeared, which for some reason comforted me when faced with this new addition to our reality. He ran at it bodily and I could hear the thud as they collided. He blocked it from fully coming out of whatever was on the other side and allowed me time to distract myself from the impossibility of what I was seeing and escape. Those awful, alien, strangled sounds behind me as I fled motivated me to run far faster than my lack of athleticism usually allowed for. I sat in my car, fumbling for keys in my panic, when he emerged alone from the woods, my companion. For the first time ever, I was actually truly relieved to see him. We went home together. I had been so afraid of visiting family when he first became a fixture in my life, but not long after that walk through the woods, my grandma got sick unexpectedly. The kind of sick where I had to go see her, or risk our last visit being the last time I ever saw her. When I walked into the hospital room, she lifted her head and smiled at me weakly. As he followed me in, her face changed. Vahan? No, Grandma, it's just me. To my horror, he sidled up next to her and stayed there, placing a human-esque hand on her shoulder. She stared at him for a moment, her mouth opened slightly in surprise, before she placed her hand on his. Nothing in her face betrayed her reaction to what she was seeing. Based on my husband's experience, I figured that maybe she could feel him there, but I doubted she could actually see him. You came back, she whispered. I was still confused when, to me, she asked, does he look well? It took my brain a few moments to realize what she was asking me, the implications. I just nodded in response. It was a struggle to try and recall what my grandfather looked like in life from the few pictures I had seen of him, but I can confidently say that whatever he'd looked like in life, if this was him, his current form was not remotely close to looking well. I wasn't going to tell her that. The look of happiness rivaled her expression at my cousin's college graduations, my wedding, even my mom whose face typically hardened at the mere mention of my grandfather's name, stared in his direction in bewilderment. I had often wondered before this what happens to those brought in the seams. I had always assumed death, but maybe it's something far worse. Flesh and bone torn apart and then warped into something else, re-sculpted in the image of chaos and madness, Perhaps many of those who were taken become hungry and lose themselves, but maybe some survive in mind, if not in body. I'm still not entirely sure if I truly believe it's him, my grandfather. I'm not certain why my mom and grandma seem so convinced. But I do know that while he seems tied to me still, he hasn't tried to take me into the seams or harm me and his presence brings them comfort. When we go to my mom's for dinner, she talks to him sometimes with tears welling in her eyes, even though she can't see him. 
Even though the conversation seems to be one-sided, I try to give them space. They have decades of catching up to do. I still try to avoid pulling at the fraying threads, knowing the risks, but it can be easy to make a mistake when it only takes moments to do so. It's still terrifying when I mess up and something begins to try and enter our world, but I'm grateful that he's here to help, to help keep away the other things that dwell in the seams. And that, listeners, is Poppy's story of what she can see in the seams. Can you see those threads that hold our time and our realities together? What do you think is beyond them? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So as always, you can find me at Haunted Horror Storian on socials, or you can email me at hauntedhorrorstorian at gmail.com. I think that about wraps up this week's story. So I hope, until we meet again, listeners, that you stay spooky and remember... Sometimes it's more than just a story.